Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Fucking Cancer podcast. We are your support, so let's talk fucking cancer. Hello, and welcome back to the Let's Talk Fucking Cancer podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Leah, and I'm here with my fabulous co-host, Colette. Hi, everyone. And this evening, we are delighted um, to welcome Dr. Matt Bridgman to the podcast. He is going to be sharing his expertise with us. Um, I know that we talked about him a little bit in our tips and tricks episode, and now you guys are going to get the full experience. Um, Dr. Bridgman has a PhD in clinical psychology, and he is the creator of Clear Mind Blueprint and the founder of Clear Mind Coaching. Welcome, Dr. Bridgman. Dr. Bridgman. Thank you. Thank you for having (laughs) me. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. My pleasure. Especially since we're we're East or we're not East Coast, we're West Coast and you're East Coast time. So we very much appreciate you giving your time this evening. Yeah. With the time change too, it feels like it's nine o'clock right now. So it does. Apologies. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, that's gosh. okay. <laughs> we're right there with you. Yeah. Apparently California voted to do away with um the time change, but really we were We're um, still doing it yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. our voices were not heard no (laughs) um so dr bridgman if you would share a little bit about your backstory and education and what led you to neuropsychology yeah so if um i mean we could probably spend all all evening talking about this but i'll try and give you maybe the quick version um so uh i um majored in psychology and in college, uh, just was interested in uh, the human mind, um, and then uh, in, enjoyed that. At the same time, I thought about maybe going to uh, pre med med school. I enjoyed biology, but um, really uh, enjoyed psychology, so stuck with that. But then decided by the end of college, well, if I'm going to make a living uh, with psychology, I probably should get a little bit more education. So then I decided to go to grad school, um, and so I ended up going to graduate school at um, Fuller. Uh, Fuller is actually a, a seminary in California, uh, Pasadena, uh, right in LA there. And so I got my PhD in clinical psychology there. Um, and when I started there, my thought was to uh, that I would probably end up uh, being like a, a marriage therapist and do a lot of uh, marital counseling. Um, but within the first year, uh, trying to figure out what I was going to do for my dissertation and and just getting, you know, my feet under me with the whole grad school experience. Um, I wasn't really finding myself passionate about anything in particular. Um, and so I wasn't really sure what to do. Uh, and then I took uh, my very first class in neuropsychology. And I was like, oh, this is really fascinating. Um, because it ended up, uh, I found where I could kind of have both my love of psychology and understanding the human mind, um, but also kind of the biology behind it and so uh, really understanding the brain uh, which is the neuro part and then the the psychology the the human behavior uh, our mind our, our emotions our thinking um, and so that was kind of actually my first experience of neuropsychology was in grad school um, and so once i took that class i was like oh this is fascinating uh, this is what i want to study and so i i changed my focus thankfully uh, my grad school allowed me to to change my focus change my advisor um and kind of move to a different track within the same program it was all still clinical psychology um, but got to focus on neuropsychology and, and get some more specific classes and um, um clinical trainings and focus uh, the research um in that area during grad school Oh, that's fantastic. Um, that's awesome. And I was going to say, we're missing our 
or one third tonight. Julia, our producer, mm-hmm. could not be here, and she was, um, and she still is, but in neuropsychology in school. And so she oh, nice. was so excited to meet you and talk with you, and was so yeah. disappointed when she couldn't join us tonight. So yeah, I well, promised, we'll have to follow up with some other time. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I promised her we'd ask her all the questions, <laughs> but definitely mm-hmm. she would love to meet you. And I can empathize yeah. with not wanting to do the marriage and family therapy part of it. I uh, got my bachelor's in psychology and didn't know what to do with it after that. And so I'm on a totally different path now, but falling in love with biology and science late and seeing how the two interconnect um, is very cool. And I'm so glad that you were able to discover that passion and make that a career and um, be accessible for your patients. Mm-hmm. Um put a little more context around that like the the my experience that led me to decide to uh, start clear mind coaching um so after i graduated with my phd um then i did a two year fellowship uh after that which allowed me to get the specialized uh training to then be able to call myself a neuropsychologist um and really understanding the brain uh the relationship between our brain and, and behavior and so then after that, then I got my first job as a staff neuropsychologist um, at a, a small uh, community hospital. Um, and that was uh, just over 13 years ago uh, that I got that first job out of fellowship. And so I'm at the same hospital today. Um, that small community hospital has grown to a big hospital system, but I'm still at the at the same place they're working as a staff neuropsychologist. Um, and most of my uh, day there um, at my job is I, I get referrals from uh, primary care docs, family docs, and neurologists and other uh, specialists when their patients, uh, their clients are complaining about memory trouble or other cognitive trouble, um, then they refer them to me. And my job then as a neuropsychologist is to help figure out what's going on, what's causing their memory trouble, what's causing their concentration or word finding trouble, um, and what to do about it. Um, and so I'm seeing folks, I'm doing in-depth interviews to understand their medical history, their work history, social history, uh, and then putting them through some formal testing, formally testing their memory, attention, uh, intelligence, thinking speed, um, to then help figure out what's going on with their memory here. Is this like early stages of dementia or is it related to their head injury history or related to multiple sclerosis or some other medical issue that they're going through? Um and so, um, but then what usually happens is then I see them for a follow-up appointment, say, here's how you did it on all the tests. Here's what I think is what's going on, causing your trouble. And then here's what I recommend you do about it. And so then I give them a bunch of recommendations uh, for how to help uh, with the trouble that they're having. Um, and then that's kind of it. Then I send them back to their family doc or their neurologist. And, and then I end up usually not seeing them again. Uh, and they just follow through with all the, the recommendations that I gave them. You know, over the past decade of doing this, I um, and, and partly it's because I'm the only uh, the only neuropsychologist in my in my oh, hospital wow. system, and partly it's because as neuropsychologists, there aren't a lot of people in our specialty. Um, so um, you have to, you know, if you don't come and see me, you've got to drive two hours to Pittsburgh okay. or two hours to you know a big city to find another one. Uh, of me. There there aren't a lot of us around. Uh, So I get a lot of referrals. And so then I just get really backed up, really busy doing these evaluations, telling people what they should do, and then send them on their way. So I don't really get to treat them. I don't really get to follow with them. 
And so doing that day in and day out for 10 years, I'm like, I've got a lot of um, guidance and information and explaining and, and things that I can do to help people in a much bigger way than I'm currently helping them. So I was becoming kind of dissatisfied with things and saying, there's got to be a better way that I can help people okay. in, in a bigger and better way than, than this. Um, and so just kind of exploring ideas, looking at other more innovative ways of practicing neuropsychology and doing other things. I came across some folks who are doing um, health coaching um, and right. doing online group coaching. And I was like, hmm, uh, can I, is there a way I can change my model of providing care? Um, and so then that's eventually what led me to think about, yeah, doing some, some coaching, uh, work, um, kind of getting, um, I mean, still doing my hospital, uh, job and in, in traditional healthcare, but kind of stepping outside of that a little bit to have a more coaching approach, uh, to things. Um, and so then that's what kind of led, uh, ultimately then to, uh, to starting clear mind coaching. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. So it's interesting. You mentioned coaching. I had just learned about a, um, cancer coach. So it's a nurse coach mm -hmm. that does it for oncology patients and stuff. So I, she actually deals with the whole journey and through survivorship. And it's really cool. I had no idea that there was these specific types of coaching. And then I ran across mm -hmm. yours too. And I was like, wow, like we're really starting to get into the weeds here. We're starting to really, you know, not just keep it in such a general form, but like really dig into what we need to focus on once there's say a big um, diagnosis or something like that. You know, we're actually giving some tools. So I think that's really great. I love this so much. Um, when keeping things in a, a traditional healthcare model, the, where the insurance companies are the payers, uh, then you have to kind of do things according to what the insurance companies say you have to do as right, far as right. paperwork and billing and how much time you spend. And so that that's very restrictive Yeah, and so that's yeah. part of the problem. And so trying to step outside of that, um, uh, in order to have some more flexibility to care for people in a way that's right. uh, a lot more effective and transformational. Yeah, I, uh, I agree completely. Uh, that's part of why we um, founded our nonprofit Ways, who we support the cancer community with the things that they just aren't getting either in the medical system or they're just yeah. not available or insurances are standing in the way. And so that's why the podcast came about because of our nonprofit. We've been doing our nonprofit for about five years. And it's just like, I love that we're starting to see those holes and fill them in even within our own, you know, private means where I wish I had the backing of <laughs> our big hospitals. But since we don't, we're just forging along. So this is great that you have done this. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So when um, you were talking about some of the coaching, so what is some of the coaching that ClearMind offers? My, yeah, so the business, uh, C, CMC ClearMind Coaching. So kind of three, I guess, main goals um, or main tasks uh, that I want to do through the business. And the first is um, promoting awareness um, of, uh, and it's really focused around cancer. Um, so cognitive uh, trouble. Um, trouble with our mind. Uh, and when I say trouble with our mind, and it's, that's partially and maybe uh, you know, a lot related to memory and, and cognitive skills, but also mood and emotion, uh, related, um, 
functions of the mind, you know, things like depression and anxiety, the brain is designed to generate moods and emotions. So all of those things, how can we, um, uh, you know, what kind of uh, troubles can we have with our mind, uh, specifically related to cancer, and cancer treatments. And so um, uh, with that saying, well, what can I do through the business to help just promote awareness? Um, to the public at large, to people experiencing it, you know, a lot of uh, people I get comments on on uh, through uh, social media of of people who are going through it and didn't realize that there was a name. Like people who have still never heard the name Chemo Brain, right? Uh, there, are, you know, we might get into it later. Problems with the term Chemo Brain, but but the term Chemo Brain has done a lot of good uh, to promote awareness. But yet, still, so many people are not even aware of that term, right? Um, so just helping uh, people experiencing it to have more awareness of it, but then also a lot of people in healthcare, a lot of healthcare providers still don't understand right. uh, the the troubles that our mind can have after cancer and cancer treatments. So promoting awareness is number one. Uh, number two is uh, pointing people in the direction of things they can do to help, right? What, what services, what supports, right. um, what things can people do uh, to help um, with what they're going through? So that's the second thing, just spreading awareness of that. What can we do about it? And then the third uh, piece is the coaching. And so I do have a formal coaching program under the umbrella of ClearMind uh, Coaching. The, the formal coaching program is called ClearMind Restoration. Okay. Um, so that's the program uh, in my business. Um, and so, so that's for folks who are, uh, yeah, who've had cancer, um, who have undergone treatment and are having these uh, cognitive problems, especially memory trouble, concentration trouble, word finding trouble. Um, and it's not just a minor problem for them, but it's a really big problem and it's causing a lot of trouble at work for them. Um, and it's something that they really need to take action now to get it fixed. Um, and so then, um, if the, um, if the other, you know, things that I share, um, through websites and social media about, Hey, go here for some strategies. Here are some strategies you can use to strengthen your mind. If, if those are just not cutting it and they want, um, uh, a more intensive program of, of coaching directly with me, uh, then I've got a program uh, for that. I love that. I love that so much. So <clears throat> since we're speaking about um, it being cancer-based, and mm -hmm. that's obviously why we wanted to definitely talk to you about chemo brain today or cons. So um, if you could explain a little bit to us what chemo brain is and the transitioning into using the term cons. Definitely. So um, chemo brain is a term. It's not a medical diagnosis. Um, it's, it's not a formal uh, medical label, uh, if you will, but it's a term uh, that was generated actually by cancer patients. And I believe it was back in the 90s, the 1990s. Yeah. So this has been around a long time um, to refer to the, the cognitive troubles, memory trouble, brain fog, concentration trouble uh, that these folks were experiencing um, during their cancer uh, journey, their cancer experience. Um, and so it was really important because, uh, you know, in the 80s and in the 90s, uh, people were having these symptoms, but it was really overlooked um, and it was being dismissed. And, and even up was it just chalked up as like a side effect of chemo or like this is just something uh, you're going to experience or not even, not even. acknowledging it? Um, it, it was, um, you know, uh, explained away as depression or fatigue or wow. sleep problems or stress. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, and so it, it and, and even now there are people even now, unfortunately, who still um, say chemo brain doesn't exist. It's not real. Um, uh, chemotherapy doesn't go into the brain. It doesn't, uh, right. it doesn't affect your brain. It doesn't cause those problems, which is completely untrue. Um, uh, well, parts of that are untrue, right? There are some chemotherapies where the drug itself does not go into the brain, right? but that doesn't mean that it doesn't affect the brain indirectly through, through other chemistry fluctuations. Um, but because our body is a system that um, all works together. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So it started in the nineties, uh, for folks to say, Hey, I'm having these symptoms and it didn't start until I started having chemo. Um, and, uh, so that's kind of when it started and, and then research did begin. So there were, um, folks at, at big institutions beginning to research, uh, chemo brain symptoms in the nineties, um, writing some articles uh, on it. Um, and then finally in the two thousands, uh, in the past uh, 10 years, especially more and more research is being done, um, on chemo brain. Uh, which is really great. Um, but uh, through the course of that, coming to realize, well, it's not just the chemotherapy. And so right. on the one hand, the term chemotherapy is really, uh, sorry, the term chemo brain is really important because it it kind of uh, started to bring awareness to these problems. Um, but now that we've learned more about it, uh, we realize, oh, these symptoms, memory, trouble, brain fog, all this stuff, uh, is not just simply from chemo. It can happen for a lot of other from a lot of other things too. It can happen from radiation. It can happen from hormone therapies. Um, it even can happen just from the cancer itself. Right. Uh, and so there's uh, uh, plenty of research now showing that well, you uh, folks um, can be demonstrating memory problems even on formal memory tests. Um, uh, a lot of the research is done in women with breast cancer. And so a lot of women, uh, even after they've been diagnosed with breast cancer, but before starting any treatment oh, can wow. show some changes in their memory. Wow. So that's gotta be just from the cancer itself, not even just the treatment. And you add some treatment on top of that, and then that can just continue to magnify right. uh, oh, the wow. trouble. So Coming to realize, yeah, there's a lot more going on that can cause the trouble, not not just chemo. I think that was one of my biggest um, shocks when I was researching chemo brain because I had chemo, so I assumed that it was just the chemo itself. But realizing there was so much more at play, mm-hmm. and that's when I I had come across um, your post about cons, and I was like, wow, okay, this explains it so much more in detail about all the things that could affect you and cause chemo brain cons, cancer fog, whatever you want to call it. But I thought that was really interesting because I just assumed it was the chemo. So just to, yeah, just to explain uh, the term cons, cons is something I made up um, uh, as a way of of having some label uh, that better captures this phenomenon of uh or, or this experience of symptoms uh with our mind that are related to cancer and and cancer treatments and and all of that so i'm not the first person to try and come up with a term so um it, yeah i don't know when the first time was but there was an article at least 10 years ago i think of some people saying hey the the chemo brain term um is imperfect and we need to come up with a new term because it's not just the chemotherapy so other people thought of that and have come up with terms way before i did 
um, cancer-related cognitive impairment is one term okay. uh, that some other folks with a while ago. Um, cancer-related cognitive decline. Um, yeah, cancer-related cognitive impairment. So C, uh, CRCI uh, is something okay. that you can find in research uh, that some researchers uh, came up with. And that's a good term too. Um, but, um, but that also then is referring just to, uh, it, well, it's saying cancer related, right? Right. Um, and then, and then the second part of that is cognitive impairment. And so it's really just capturing the cognitive troubles, yeah. the memory trouble, the concentration trouble, the fogginess. And so that's not capturing any of the, the emotion changes that can right. happen. Um, irritability, just being more easily emotional in general, um, uh, loss of patience, anxiety, worry, all the emotion changes that can happen. And so I was, I was just thinking, you know, it would be nice to have a term that kind of encompasses all of it, you know, a, a little bit more of an umbrella term that captures both the complexity of all of the different factors that can lead to the problems. And then also the, the a variety of all of the different mind related problems that can show up. And so then I came up with a cancer ordeal, neuropsychological symptoms, C-O-N-S, cancer ordeal, neuropsychological symptoms. So neuropsychological is saying it's neuro, it's brain, it's psychological, it's, uh, it's with our psyche, it's with our mind. Right. And when you're talking about our mind, we're talking about memory and attention and thinking speed and word finding ability and decision making and organizing all these thinking skills but we're also talking about moods and emotions depression anxiety irritability frustration loss of patience trouble experiencing joy um all those emotions so neuropsychological kind of captures all of those brain mind related uh, symptoms and then the first part was co cancer ordeal and so an ordeal is what an ordeal is some long, difficult, right. uh, painful struggle, something that's not brief, you know, it's long, it's, right. it's over time, and it's and it's really difficult. And so, you know, I thought about saying, well, cancer experience neuropsychological symptoms or cancer journey, but journey experience, they didn't quite capture what I was thinking. Uh, I so feel ordeal like seems like a better term. Yeah, cons when I read it, I was reading it going, this makes it it felt so encompassing of just everything that I was yeah. like, this is great. Like it just, it felt right when I was reading it. <laughs> and I love hearing the thought. <clears throat> Sorry. And I love hearing the thoughtfulness that, and the intention behind choosing the name. And you're right. Ordeal is it's apt. Yes. <laughs> because there are so many things within the cancer ordeal right? It is an ordeal. It's it, that, that can then affect our mind, right? right yeah. it, it could be the cancer itself. It could be the chemo. It could be the radiation. It could be the formal treatments. Right. But then there's a whole lot of other stuff going on. I mean, you can have side effects from the treatments like anemia, or you can have vitamin deficiencies or, or GI um, nutritional deficiencies that can happen, right. but then also just the, the disruption in life, right? Yeah. Not being able to work having to go to doctor appointments all the time, right. the financial stresses, relationship stresses. There are just a whole, a lot of other changes that are part of the cancer experience that can also affect how well our mind is performing on a given day. Um, Absolutely. So it's all. Yeah. Uh, I was definitely thinking about that with um, 
just the medications they give you. So you're going to start chemo. So make sure and take these medications this many days prior and this many days after, and then you go off of them. And then the next week you're going Mm -hmm. back on them. And that cycle, how it can just mess with you internally. And I'm sure that can cause a bunch of upset all over the place. And then you have just the mental and emotional part of it where I lived at the hospital for, I was there about five days a week. I was used to it. They were my friends, <laughs> you know, and yeah. it was like getting this new, um, I had just had a new baby too. So it was like going away from being this new mom to being this new cancer patient and learning this whole new routine. Like it's upsetting emotionally, physically. And so it really felt like, like your term really encompassed the whole, all of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and just the, the reading, cause I'm not, I'm not like a researcher at a big institution running research studies, um, but just reading the, the literature and reading the research that other people are doing, um, and, and making connections, uh, between, between different things. Just, I think, think having a better appreciation for all of the different things that happen, um, all of the different changes that we experience, all the different disruptions, uh, to life and how each of those things um kind of um you know it's the combination of all those things they add up and they they magnify each other uh to then affect you know how our mind is running um and so um you know recognizing that not everyone experiences this right so being being a little bit sensitive and and you know hopefully that people who are just recently diagnosed uh are not saying oh this is like going to be horrible. I've got like this sentence of my mind is going to be terrible here. Like not everybody experiences these things, right? So there are a lot of people who go through cancer and cancer treatments who don't have cons, don't experience all these con symptoms, but, um, but realizing that there are a lot, a lot of things through that whole uh, experience that can affect our mind, our mood, uh, our memory. Um, And so then that means, well, what are we going to do about it? Like if it's, if it's not just as simple as saying, oh, it was the chemotherapy and it's a lot more complicated than that, which Mm -hmm. means if we're going to do something to improve it and help it, there's not one magic pill, one magic wand that's going to correct it all. Um, and so then that leads to, okay, so then what are we going to do about it? Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do about it? (laughs) Do you have, do you have some, um, tips or, um, any words of wisdom for those struggling with, you know, chemo brain or cons out there that um, just could help? I don't know. I was thinking like word games or I, I try and do like words with friends or just anything that makes me think a little more critically um, all the way up to I've read that medication could help. But not, if if that was hundred percent factual, I'm sure we would all be medicated and we're not. So do you have any trip or you know, tips and tricks for um, our listeners out there that may be experiencing chemo brain? Yeah. So a couple of, of thoughts and responses. And the, and the first is just for people who are just starting to experience this, uh, to know that what's going on with your mind is real. Like you're not making it up. Like people, you know, will claim that they have a symptom and and they get the message, oh, it's all in your head. Yes. <laughs> Which is kind of a funny statement, right? Because <laughs> it is. You're right. Yes, <laughs> exactly. My point exactly. <laughs> um, but it is real. And, and so so if you are going to a doctor and um, or, or some healthcare provider and you say, hey, my mind is not as sharp as it should be. I'm foggy. My mood is off, whatnot. 
um, and they brush you off or you you say, hey, I've got chemo brain or uh, um, and they say, oh, that's not real. Now, if you go to them and say, hey, I'm having cons, they're going to have no idea what you're talking about. Right. Because <laughs> uh, I just came up with that recently. So nobody except the three of us and you watch us. <laughs> about it. We're now spreading the word. Um, now we're listeners. <laughs> we're spreading the word. Yep. Um, but if they say it's not real, uh, then then uh, either you need to educate them um, and, you know, browse my Facebook page and, and look for some of the the posts um, that I've posted links to uh, Cleveland Clinic and, and some other right. places that have chemo brain pages. Uh, so you can educate your provider that, nope, this is real. It's a real thing. Um, and we need to do something about it. Um, uh, so uh, that's that's one thing. Or or if they just still don't believe you, then you need to get a new provider. <laughs> find a, there you find go. A provider yes. that's, <laughs> it's going to listen. We're um, big about advocating for yourself. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the next is kind of thinking through um, uh, uh, two, two things. And, and I guess if I really like to use analogies. So if I can use an analogy, some, some imagery here, if your brain is like a ship um, sailing on the ocean, and if, you're, if your, uh, your boat is good and uh, healthy and secure and, and seaworthy and no water is uh, pouring in anywhere um, and your sails are good, your engines are good, then you can sail smoothly. If your mind, your brain is good and healthy, you can think clearly, you can reason, you can problem solve, you can learn and remember things quickly and easily. Um, cancer, chemo, uh, all, all of the whole cancer ordeal, they do things that get in the way so then the ship is not able to sail quite as smoothly, quite as well. And whether that's, uh, uh, you know, uh, cancer treatments are like uh, termites that get in and, and chew holes. So now you've got water coming in uh, to the boat um, or uh, the sails uh, get ripped or, um, you know, different things about the ship are just not uh, working appropriately. So then what do we do about it? Well, I mean, the first thing is we need to say if there are uh, termites uh, that are actively causing problems on the ship, well, we need to get rid of the termites, right? Um, and so if, um, depending, right, if we're actively going through treatment, you know, that's, and maybe this is not a perfect analogy because I don't want people to think they've got, you know, <laughs> medication eating holes in their brain. That's not true. Because <laughs> again, most of the time you get a brain scan, your brain scan's fine, right? Yes. So you're not going to see damage showing up on your brain scan. Right. So um, don't, don't be, don't be having nightmares <laughs> about brain damage. <laughs> um, but if, if we have something that's actively kind of getting in the way, like some, we're not necessarily going to stop treatment. I mean, you need to work together with your oncology team because you might still very much need the treatment because you, you don't want the cancer to take over. Right. Um, but then also realize, well, if I have ongoing treatment, you know, I'm going to have to do some other things to keep my brain as healthy as I can and, until my treatment is over. And then hopefully I can do things to get improvement. So I'm going to just try and stay stable. But if treatment's all over, right, if, I'm, if I've gone through treatment, treatment's over, but then I need to check and make sure, well, do I, do I have some ongoing medical issues that are, that are not uh, treated as well as possible? Do I have some anemia or some vitamin deficiency or some thyroid uh, trouble going on um, where it's it's an active uh, chemistry imbalance in my body um, that that could be corrected or improved. Um, have I developed um, sleep apnea or diabetes, uh, blood sugar fluctuation issues? You know, is there some other kind of 
or, or do I have some some infection kind of issues or um, food allergies or acid reflux or you know just looking for other other medical conditions that need to be stabilized or treated that's really important um, and so assuming all that's done then the next things we need to do are um, uh, optimizing our, our brain and body's chemistry even further by making sure and, and this is going to be a lot of common sense stuff but it's really really necessary for right, brain yeah. health we need good hydration you need really good nutrition so going back to uh, uh one of your early podcasts uh, that you had with uh, you had a nutritionist right an oncology nutritionist yeah you need someone like that on your team to help you make right. sure you're optimizing your food because what you take into your body is is going to affect your brain right um help it to heal and recover if you're eating a good healthy diet um, or it's going to get in the way, you know, to high sugar foods and high processed foods or any foods that you're allergic to or sensitive to, you know, those are going to make it very difficult for you to recover, uh, how your mind is working for you. Physical exercise, physical exercise is necessary. Right. It's huge. Um, when we exercise physically, it changes chemistry in our brain and our body in a way that's really necessary to help to re-strengthen it and to grow it. Um, and but we also have to kind of balance that, right? Because uh, right. it is it is certainly possible to overdo it, yeah, right? Okay. And if, yeah. if you've got pain issues, if you've got fatigue issues, right. um, if you if you are struggling with some um, uh, inflammation issues in your body, some joint inflammation or other things, um, there might very well be exercises that you should not do. Right. You know, you don't want to be making pain issues worse. You don't want to make fatigue issues worse. Um, so you have to find the right kind of movement uh, for you and for your body that's going to help promote good circulation and blood flow, um, but without making pain or fatigue issues worse. Um, yeah. And so that's really important. Uh, there's some some benefits to some resistance um, to some weightlifting kind of exercises. But again, keep in mind what what's my body capable of doing safely. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you've been sitting exercise. on the couch the last five years, don't go try to run marathon. <laughs> exactly, right? You got to start where you're at and go, yeah. right. go slow, right. right? Low and steady wins the race. Yeah. Um, exercise is so important because have you heard of brain-derived neurotrophic factor? No. No, but I feel like I need to know what this is. <laughs> I know. Tell me more. know what that is. Yes. So brain-derived neurotrophic factor. So it's a chemical in the brain and that's like miracle grow. Oh, right? okay. so it's like miracle grow for your brain cells. So this is really important. So um, neurogenesis is real. Have you heard the term neurogenesis? Yes. So neurogenesis is the growth of new brain cells. Okay. okay, okay. Growth of new brain cells. So even during adulthood, we do grow new brain cells. Not not as fast as we did when we were kids, right? Uh, not nearly uh, that fast, but it has been proven that even during adulthood, we grow new brain cells. Um, and, uh, and, and then we can also, uh, grow new connections between existing brain cells. And so the power of our brain, the power of our mind is not just simply how many brain cells we have, but how many connections are there between them. And okay. so you take brain cells that have connections with each other other and we can we can well, we can form new connections, but we can also take existing connections and we can strengthen them make them oh. stronger, make, make those work more efficiently. All of that to come back and say this brain derived neurotrophic factor, this miracle grow that boosts the growth of brand new brain cells, but then it also helps promote new connections between existing brain cells and strengthening those connections. 
but so this miracle grow is really important, right? And when we exercise, physical exercise is one of the best things that we can do to boost the amount of miracle grow. Right. So when, when you do your daily workout, just think, Hey, I'm, I'm dumping miracle grow (laughs) on my brain. brain, uh, I was going to say the, the more I've learned throughout this podcast, the less I can argue with working out. <laughs> it's it's hard. It's, <laughs> I'm like, I exercise yeah. in the pee here. <laughs> yeah. um, and then a third uh, piece of the puzzle is, is stress management. Uh, oh, stress management okay. is really, really important. Okay. Um, stress is, is part of life, you know, and uh, some, some level of stress. Um, is is necessary for our health. Uh, mm-hmm. Physical exercise is a form of stress. You know, we're purposefully putting physical stress on our body um, for the benefits of it. Um, but again, there's uh, a level at which you can overdo it, right? So some okay. stress is good, whether it's physical or emotional stress, intellectual stress. You know, trying to learn something new, take a test, um, emotional stress, dealing with conflict in a relationship. Um, you know, those are all. Uh, can be um, important and, and grow us and strengthen us as long as we're not getting too much, right? right? As long as we have enough time to rest and recover in between moments of stress, right? Um, and that's that's the key is saying, well, going through back to our term cancer ordeal, right? There are a lot of sources of stress yeah. within the whole cancer ordeal. And right. so- if we um if we think about stress in terms of what's going on in our body and know well, our body has a, a stress response system and the body's stress response system is the the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system are you familiar with those yes terms, yeah right? fight, fight and flight right yeah so sympathetic is fight or flight and then oh, parasympathetic okay. parasympathetic is rest and digest yeah that's right okay Right. And so they're like, they're like complementary muscles, like bicep and tricep, right? They kind of, <laughs> kind of work opposite each other. So you need them both. Right. And so if our stress response system is good and healthy, then when we encounter a stressful event, our sympathetic nervous system takes over, adrenaline goes right. up, cortisol goes up, uh, muscle tension goes up, fluctuations in blood pressure, blood flow, things like that. Um, but then once the stress is over, we go home, we take a nap, we go have a meal, we go try and go to sleep, then our, our uh, sympathetic should calm down and our parasympathetic should take over and, and activate rest and digest. So cortisol levels drop and, and uh, adrenaline levels drop, acetylcholine levels go up, um, digestion turns back on. So all this chemistry going on, but all that has to be really well balanced, right? We need both, we need time in both, uh, in both modes if you will, in order for our body to stay good and healthy. We need time and fight or flight. You know, we need some stress to, to strengthen us and, and improve our health, but we need enough time to rest and recover from that in order to stay in balance and stay healthy. Well, it's it's completely understandable going through the cancer ordeal that we end up spending a lot of time in fight or flight mode, right? right? And that sympathetic activation, a lot of parts of the cancer uh, experience um, are, are stressful situations. And so right. even though we might, you know, even if we're not like panicking, you don't, we might not have anxiety, you know, but even so our body is still going to be in this activation mode right? Yeah. a lot because of everything that's going on. Well, if our body is in that too much for too long, it's like, it's like redlining the engine. It's like running your engine at, at high all the time. It's just going to wear out faster. You know, the body's yeah. going to wear out faster. 
and that's going to affect our memory, the memory part of our brain, you know, too much cortisol, too much adrenaline for long periods of time, uh, wears out the hippocampus, uh, the memory part of the brain. Um, and so we need to make sure we're keeping our body balanced, you know, have some good, um, rest and digest, uh, times, uh, to keep our, our body healthy, to keep our brain and our memory healthy. So that's an important yeah. piece of the puzzle. Definitely. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, when you look at the, the numbers, the percentages out there for how many people are getting diagnosed with chemo brain, do you agree with them? I I've just seen, as I've been researching it, I've been seeing a lot of like 20 to 30% or this or that. And I just wonder sometimes, is it much more than that? And they're just not getting diagnosed. Um, so the one article that I've seen referenced a bunch says uh, like 75% of people, when you look at during and right after cancer treatment, wow. like 75% of people are, are experiencing cognitive symptoms. Okay. Oh, wow. wow. That I had not read that. I'm so mm -hmm. glad to hear that. Well, and so that goes to show the differences of, of reported instances versus what's actually happening in patients' lives and whether or not it's being taken seriously. Right. Wow. That, that's quite yeah. a, a, a difference in numbers. Yeah. <laughs> so it all so, depends. I mean, you have to look closely at, I mean, um, yeah, how exactly are they measuring it? Uh, right. You know, you know, the patient uh, or it's the population that they're they're polling, they're asking about. So they right. said 75 who are like during and, and like right after treatment, but then like 35% uh, of people might continue to experience symptoms like right. week, weeks to months to years later. <laughs> yeah. She, she yeah. points to me because <laughs> so, that was going to be another one of my questions is, um, I was, I was seeing a lot of, you know, six months to a year after and not so many long-term where I definitely have seen a huge progression and a, a better, you know, my, my cognitive abilities getting better, but I definitely still suffer with it. And mm -hmm. I'm six years out. <laughs> so, you know, is it that we, um, are just talking about it less as we go further out. And I don't talk to my doctor so much about it anymore because they blew me off in the first time place. So, you know, I mean, um, do you think the numbers higher that deals with it a lot longer, maybe six years like me? <laughs> yeah, uh, probably there's, it's a very difficult thing to measure. Right. Yeah. Because the further out you go, I mean, even six months out, there are so many variables that right. are going to um, affect whether a person will still experience symptoms six months out or not. Right. Right. What kind of cancer did they have? Uh, what stage was their cancer at? Um, what kind of treatment did they have? How long was their treatment? How, what was the dose of their treatment? What other medical conditions did they have coming in to having the cancer in the first place? How old are they? Uh, what was there? There's a whole uh, lot of research on cognitive reserve or brain reserve, oh. which has to do with like, well, how how healthy, how strong was your brain before you had trouble to begin with? Gotcha. Um, okay. So you have someone, um, uh, you know, uh, had a really strong memory and attention before they had cancer, 
um, compared to someone who had ADHD before they had cancer. Okay. Right. And so, you know, that is another factor. Um, and then, well, what are the side effects of the cancer treatment? You know, did someone end up with uh, anemia or diabetes uh, and somebody else didn't? Well, that could play a role in how long your symptoms persist. Did you have to have surgery or not? If you did have surgery, were there complications or not? If you did have surgery, what kind of anesthesia did you have? How long did you have anesthesia for? Oh, um, wow. There's a whole lot of factors. A oh, whole lot wow. of factors that can influence whether you have persistent symptoms or not. Okay. And then when you start looking at not six months out, but you start looking at a year out or two years out, well, what all happened during that two-year period to this this particular person? True. Right. I see. I see a lot of folks for um, concussion in my in my hospital job, and you can. uh, There are a lot of overlaps, a lot of similarities between uh, chemo brain cons uh, and and what folks with concussion go through. Okay. Uh, a lot of difference, obviously, too. But, um, uh, but you know, I'll see uh, two. You know, just say for example, two fifteen-year-olds. Okay, both uh, both in high school, um, and both have a concussion, and seems like it's a similar severity of concussion. Um, and uh, and yet, one of them um, is at a school district where the teachers are very understanding and very supportive and very helpful. And they've got classmates that are very understanding and supportive and helpful. And the other student is at a school district who the teachers don't care. They think they're faking. They've got classmates who pick on them. Um, and, uh, the environment around them is going to influence how quickly they recover. Wow. That makes sense. (laughs) Jinx. (laughs) Yeah, oh, wow. that as you said it, I was like, wow, that makes sense. And I don't think we give ourselves the grace to think about those types of surrounding situations that may affect what we're going through. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So do you foresee cons being introduced into the DSM in the future or something by its name? <laughs> um, yeah, so so you actually gave me a heads up on this question, and I appreciate that. Uh, so, I thought about this a lot today. Um, and, uh, uh, for better, or for worse, I, I probably not. Um, I mean, it could, but, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't. And, and here's why, uh, because cons is really a, a label, uh, that's kind of an umbrella term, right. That's trying to have some way of talking about the big picture of all of the different kinds of mind related symptoms and all of the different factors related to the cancer ordeal. So it's, it's kind of an umbrella term and there's, um, so it's not really specific enough for, I think the, the the labels and what the DSM tries to do. And, uh, the other reason is because there are, there's a lot in the DSM already that can be used to, um, diagnose or, or, um, Mm -hmm. label or identify, the specific things people might be struggling with that okay. would fall under cons. So to give you an example, like if someone is struggling with um, memory trouble um, and they get some testing and find, yep, their memory has changed from what we think it would have been before. Um, and we think is related to the, the cancer uh, treatment um, or the cancer itself. So what you would do from the DSM, uh, there's a section on neurocognitive disorders. Okay. So there's mild neurocognitive disorders and major neurocognitive disorders. Okay. Uh, so chances are it would be, for most folks, it would be mild. 
uh, mild neurocognitive disorder. And then you, you um, kind of specify it and say mild neurocognitive disorder due to, and then there's a, there's a code for uh, mild neurocognitive disorder uh, due to general medical condition. Uh, okay. And you would specify okay. what medical condition, right? right? And so you would say mild neurocognitive disorder due to ovarian cancer. Um, gotcha. Or they've got, uh, they've got like medication induced delirium. Oh. So if you're having confusion specifically related to medication, you, you they might okay. use the code for medication gotcha. induced delirium. Okay. If instead, if instead we're talking about like anxiety, if we think, well, the anxiety is coming from the cancer itself, uh, like the, the, the actual physiology of the disease of the cancer is affecting, you know, triggering anxiety right. um, or, or depression, then they've got, um, they've got, uh, anxiety disorder due to a general medical condition. Right. Okay. okay. That's the diagnosis. So the wheel doesn't need to be recreated. It's out there. <laughs> we just have to pick it we apart. Have, yeah. Yep. Yep. So there's an ICD-10 for that. <laughs> <laughs> there is, yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I had to get nerdy for a second. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you a few questions from our listeners. But before we do, I wanted to ask you, I had a couple myself. <laughs> sure. Um, one of the things is, I, and I think this was actually in one of our questions from Lisa Kabodi-Burke. She had mm-hmm. um, touched on, um, I, I had read this as well, that ADHD meds have been used in chemo brain patients. Is that something that um, you've seen much of or is kind of standard to you or not? Um, so I've seen it a little bit. Um, and okay. so um, just so you know, as a psychologist, like I'm not licensed to prescribe medications. Right. I don't, you know, my hospital job, I don't prescribe Um and so I don't have nearly the the medication expertise as right. uh, like a psychiatrist or neurologist or, or family doctor, but but I have seen it and I have read some research on yeah using stimulants um, and other medications that uh, can be helpful okay. uh, for some for some cognitive symptoms. Um, um, yeah, so so it's a possibility. Um, okay. Yep. I was yeah I was very curious in that because I was diagnosed with ADHD. Mm-hmm. well after my chemo experience. And mm-hmm. so they put me on a medication that I was telling that once I read the information, I was like, that's crazy because I'm on um, Vyvanse for ADHD and I have felt a million times better. And I was like, I wonder if it was ADHD or the chemo brain or both and the medication <laughs> just helped it out. But I definitely saw a huge difference. And so when I read that, I was very intrigued. I was like, it, is that a, just a coincidence for me? Or is that something that is really happening out there? So it's nice to know that there might be, you know, maybe something that could help. Yeah. We have to hold everything a little bit lightly, right? Because everybody's yes. body is a little bit different. Everybody's yes. situation is a little bit different. And so while, yeah, yeah, there absolutely are people who will benefit from a stimulant. Um, there are people who it won't help them at all. Right. right. Or or their body might not like it and they might right. like, have an unpleasant experience with it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then one other uh, question that I had, and I had been reading up on this and I had given uh, the ladies a little rundown of how it affected me was alcohol with chemo brain. Do you see that alcohol affects it greatly or um, not so much? Have you noticed anything at, from your end? Um, I haven't, um, but I haven't um, maybe had the opportunity to uh, explore or or evaluate that possibility. Um, okay. so I, I don't have any direct experience of it. 
um, just based on what I know about how alcohol affects the brain and and what I know about uh, people going through cons uh, type uh, troubles uh, that, yeah, it definitely could cause some trouble for them. It could, uh, um, their mind might be more sensitive to the effects of alcohol. Right. And that's what I experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of had shared that with the ladies in our last episode that I had noticed that one time right after I had been through chemotherapy and all my, my treatments and stuff. And we had gone out for a girl's night and I told them it took, it seemed like it take, it took me a couple of days to recover mentally from it. I just could not get my stuff together and I was very off. And I, from then on, I was like, okay, uh, I got to watch this because it really affected me quite a bit. And then when I had read it in some research, I was like, is it really a thing <laughs> or is it just me? <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm a fan of the Mediterranean diet and the, the Mediterranean style diet does say, yeah, a glass of wine with dinner. Um, yeah, I'm generally uh, agreeable to, yep. A glass of wine with dinner is probably good for the brain. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. So, so generally speaking, right. Yeah. Uh, that's my general thought, but when it comes to the brain struggling to recover from cancer, right. cancer treatments, and that pro- probably best to avoid alcohol. Right. Uh, and feeling like our brain is fully recovered. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So Amelia wrote in December 29th, I completed four rounds of AC, the red devil, then 12 weeks of Taxol. My chemo brain seemed to diminish quite a bit, but now seems to be back really badly again. I recently tested positive for toxic mold and Lyme. Could either of those be more the problem than chemo or does chemo brain come and go? If so, is there a trigger? Hmm. Um, so yeah, so there are a couple ways, couple ways to answer this, but ultimately you can say, yep, toxic mold, uh, levels in your body and uh lyme infection they can definitely cause cognitive trouble brain fog a lot of the same kinds of symptoms and so folks who have never had cancer or chemo uh but if they have lyme infection they could have a lot of the same kinds of symptoms and so if you were having some trouble from cancer cancer treatment and uh, that was seeming to recover but then you end up with these other things um I would think, well, those are kind of magnifying some trouble that your brain was already having. That would be my line of thinking. I mean, I can't, you know, I'm not able to say for sure. Um, um, But uh, chemo, uh, so the effects of chemo um, on on the one hand would be um, something that would not return or or come back or get worse like if you have chemo and you end your chemo treatment um it's kind of like those those termites on the boat where right. once your chemo treatment is over it's like you've gotten rid of all the termites okay right so the termites are gone so they're no longer actively causing trouble uh in the wood of your boat um uh and uh and if symptoms come back if trouble comes back, uh, symptoms worsen, it would not be, um, you know, you didn't restart the chemo, right? right? So the termites didn't back. Um, um, it would be uh, something else that would be making the symptoms get worse. Uh, now we can have fluctuation in symptoms for a lot of reasons. I mean, you can be uh, recovering from uh, cancer related cognitive trouble um, and feel like things are getting better and getting better, but then you can have 
you know, kind of a setback for, for a lot of different reasons. That doesn't necessarily mean you have more, um, uh, yeah, just, just a lot of different reasons. I mean, like the line, but you can, you know, if, if other things in your life have changed, like, you know, stress has increased or sleep problems, uh, you're having more trouble with sleep or uh, fatigue or something else is going on. Usually that would be making the symptoms get worse. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. That so I have a question from Lisa. She is asking, are there any games, exercises, puzzles, et cetera, that can counteract brain fog? Um, so, um, mental activity is really important. Um, and this is, um, kind of adding to what we talked about before in terms of right. nutrition, hydration, exercise, stress management. Uh, the, uh, a final piece of the puzzle is directly exercising your brain. Okay. Right? And so, um, kind of a, you know, there's not necessarily one specific game that's going to be the magic wand. Uh, but if we think about, well, if our brain is like a bunch of muscles, we need to use them, use it or lose it. Uh, and we can exercise them to strengthen them. Um, and whether or not you use, um, uh, you know, Sudoku puzzles or word searches, um, mm-hmm. kind of my thought about those is we want to think about kind of three criteria um, to uh, guide our decision about brain activity and brain exercise. And the first uh, criteria is that whatever you're going to choose to do to exercise your brain, it should be enjoyable. Okay. Life is short. If you don't enjoy it, don't bother with it. Like if you don't like word okay. searches, don't bother with them. Right? Okay. <laughs> if you do puzzles, don't worry about it. Um, find something else that's, that's more enjoyable. And also because if you don't enjoy it, you're probably not going to work very hard at it. And so it's probably not going to benefit you all that much. So first criteria, it should be enjoyable. Um, Second uh, is that it needs to challenge you. So if it's really, really easy, I mean, you can do it for the enjoyment of it. um, But if it's too easy, it's like, you know, doing bicep curls with a one pound weight. Um, (laughs) That might be easy for me. It's not going to really strengthen my muscle at all. So it needs to challenge. Um, And then the third is variety. Um, if I enjoy crossword puzzles and I'm doing ones that are really challenging, uh, but crossword puzzles are the only thing I'm doing to keep my mind active okay. and that's not good enough, right? That's not going to help me overcome the brain fog. Um, I need a good variety of things. I need crossword puzzles. I need things, uh, uh like, like reading. Um, I need conversations where I'm speaking out loud. I might need, um, um, jigsaw puzzles. Um, you know, that, uh, that helped me exercise my vision and my spatial skills. Um, but then just also looking at life and saying, well, what are the activities in life that are important to me? Right. And uh, how can I stay active with those things and challenge my mind with the the hobbies, interests, or the people that are important to me, um, to, to exercise my brain that way. I like that. And it, you reminded me of, I was looking at your page and you were talking about um, when uh, moving, moving some furniture or something and happening to leave the bucket of beets at um, mm-hmm. wherever you weren't supposed to leave it. And it, how you were like, if I just took a little bit more time to recognize that moment and the importance of this. And I was thinking about that and I was like, wow, sometimes for me, if I just slow down and allow my brain to process this moment versus rushing through it. I'm giving myself a, you know, a little leg up. If I just, just slow Mm -hmm. down, 
slow down and just really, you know, give myself that moment to really soak in whatever it is. And it's kind of like a brain game to me. I have to like tell myself, okay, today you're going to be really good and focus and, you know, you know, give your, give your brain that time to digest everything that's going through today. And maybe I'll forget less. <laughs> if, if there was one, one specific uh, thing that would get you the the greatest benefit out of everything for mm-hmm. strengthening your mind, it's, it's the skill of mindfulness. Okay. Mindfulness. Yeah. So just okay. being mindful, right? And so much of mindfulness, you know, you you type into Google the term mindfulness, the majority of what you're going to get um, are mindfulness for stress, right? yes. mindfulness for relaxation, meditation. But the term mindfulness, you know, itself is just, well, being mindful, right? Paying attention, right. noticing. Right. That's a skill all of its own, right? It noticing really the moment, paying attention to the moment, slowing down, being fully present in the moment. Yeah. Uh, that's a skill. And, and that's a very powerful tool if we practice that and strengthen that and uh definitely that would have helped me uh, more with the beats <laughs> <laughs> well it's like you said that acknowledgement being mindful or acknowledging b- mindfulness you have to acknowledge it before you can start working on it for stress or sleep or whatever you yeah. have to know what that is and what you're trying to achieve so yeah i've been acknowledging it i love that kim wrote in Radiation seems to keep breaking down the area of the body long after the procedure. My husband is having heart issues possibly related to the radiation he had on his lung. He's having GI bleeding possibly caused by intestinal wall thinning caused by radiation he took to his prostate. What are the possibilities that gamma knife radiation on the cerebellum will cause issues in the future? Um, So that's a good question. And so how I would respond to that is... um to say, well, it's it's possible. I mean, anything is possible. But a way to think about it is to think about um, our brain uh, and our, our body in terms of aging and wear and tear. And so if you think about wear and tear and aging, and if our body and, and if our brain is like a car, and you take two cars that are the same age, say you take two cars that are both 10 years old, and even if these cars miraculously have the same number of miles, they've got, they both got a hundred thousand miles on them. Um, but one of them lived in Pennsylvania and one of them lived in North Carolina. They're the same age, same number of miles. Do they look the same? No, no. <laughs> right? Are they have the same amount of wear and tear, right? No. So Pennsylvania has hard, rain, a lot of salt on the road, right? So you're going to get rust and a lot more wear and tear. Um, you take two cars that are both in Pennsylvania, right? Um, but one of them was was owned by um, just a couple of adults who were very meticulous and took really good care of it. And another car, uh, same age, same number of miles, but had a really busy family uh, that lived in this minivan um, with lots of kids, right? Uh, and even if the parents were diligent, uh, there's only so much you can do. It's going to get, you know, poultry, <laughs> uh, poultry's going to get more wear and tear to it, right? So, um our our brain, we can think about our brain the same way, that as we get older, we all accumulate some wear and tear, but we don't all wear out at the same rate. You take two people who are both uh, 50, but their brains are not going to have the same amount of wear and tear on them for a lot of different reasons, though, right? Some it's just genetics. Some it's it's life experiences. It's how many health problems did they have over their life? It's um, uh, lots of different things are going to influence that wear and tear. Um, and so 
Um, certainly if you have something like as bad as a stroke or a severe traumatic brain injury, right? Well, that's a pretty extreme event causing <laughs> more than just wear and tear, but causing formal damage. You know, that's kind of a car accident. Um, but lots of other things that, that happen, they, they don't necessarily cause damage in the way that a stroke does, you know, not a car accident but they kind of contribute to this wear and tear. And so having uh, concussions, having too many surgeries, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, um, smoking, sleep apnea, migraines, a um, lot of things can contribute to this uh, subtle, gradual, but nevertheless wear and tear. Um, and so then the same thing with cancer and cancer treatments, you know, they can add to this wear and tear. Um, and so it might be the case that, oh, well, I've got the treatment, the gamma knife this year, and that causes me some trouble. Am I going to have worse trouble 10 years from now because of the treatment that I had now? Um, it, on the one hand, uh, yeah, it's possible because that treatment is one of those factors that contributes to the overall wear and tear and kind of has sped up the aging process a little bit. But then it also depends on, well, what else happens over the next 10 years, right? Or, or if we shorten it to five years, if we say, well, I had the treatment this year, five years from now, what's my brain going to look like? Right. Well, it kind of depends on what happens over the next five years. Am I fortunate and I have no other health issues over the next five years? And, my, and so my brain has, has stayed quite healthy. I haven't needed any other treatments, no other surgeries. My blood pressure is good. Cholesterol is good. I don't have diabetes. I'm sleeping well at night. I'm getting good sleep. That's that's really, really important. I'm exercising well. I'm eating healthy. I'm keeping my mind active with brain games and with social interaction and curiosity and hobbies. Um, you know, that's going to play a, a big role in how well my, how healthy my mind is going to be working uh, five years from now. That makes sense. Very good. <laughs> thank you for answering those questions for us. Absolutely. And thank you for sending those questions into our listeners. Yeah. yeah. So how can um, caretakers take better support of their loved ones who may be suffering with symptoms of cons? Um, just understanding it, right, is, is the first step, right? Understanding um, what they're going through, trying to put yourself in their shoes, um, giving them the benefit of the doubt, like when they forget something, when they misunderstand you, um, you know, start with the assumption that they didn't do it on purpose, <laughs> um, uh, give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, and then, uh, knowing that, well, at times, uh, depending on the day, you know, kind of depends on, you know, are they having pain issues that fluctuate from day to day? Right. Are they having fatigue issues that, that fluctuate from day to day? You know, some days, their mind, their memory, their thinking might be sharper and better than other days. And so just being mindful of that. And if it's a, if it's an off day, then no, I'm going to have to slow down. If I'm going to ask them something, you know, if I have five things I need to talk with them about, I'm going to slow it down, maybe do it one at a time. Right. Um, be prepared to know that I might need to repeat myself. Um, and that's okay. Um, Yep. And I, I learned with, um, I wanted to share with our listeners just from my personal experience is telling your family and just communicating that to them is really important because I hadn't done that at first because I didn't quite understand what was happening. 
And it was very frustrating for me. It was very frustrating for my family. And once I communicated that to them and told them my specific needs, like my husband had an alarm for every 20 minutes of the day, something new was happening and he wouldn't turn them off. And it would make me so, um, I, I just couldn't take all the stimulus. And so I, you know, just telling him that and him being aware of the alarms and just shutting them off or the kids all talking at me at one time, or like you said, maybe asking one thing instead of five right now, they really, my, my family was really good about it, but, you know, communicating that to your loved ones, I think is very important or the people, you know, who are in your life, helping caretake for you, you know, is very important because they don't understand. They, they have no idea until we explain to them what's going on. And I mean, we're having a hard enough time explaining it or, or understanding it ourselves. So I think communicating that to them is super, super important. Definitely. Yeah. And I know we kind of touched on this a little bit prior, but just before we wrap up. Um, and so how can patients advocate for themselves? So you mentioned going to your Facebook page, showing the articles that you have linked there. Um, are there any other resources that you would recommend? Yeah. So those, those are great. The, you know, the first step really is looking up like Cleveland Clinic, MD Anderson, uh, Mayo Clinic, some of those big institutions, they have pages on chemo brain. Yeah. Um, so really studying those and because they talk about the various um, causes, the various facts, they talk different strategies and ways to compensate. Um, uh, and then I put new stuff on my my Facebook page, you know, articles that I come across that would be helpful. And so that's a good resource. Um, the next thing to consider is, uh, is seeing if you can, um, you know, depending on how much trouble you're having, if you're having a lot of trouble with memory, it's really affecting uh, your daily life, um, uh, trouble with memory or other cognitive symptoms, uh, then talk with like your family doc, um, or if you have a neurologist, talk with them and see if there's a neuropsychologist around that you could get in to see. Um, and, and they could help further evaluate, help, uh, better understand what are the specific factors for you personally, uh, that are getting in the way of your mind, uh, working well for you and give you a more, more tailored, plan for for how to strengthen up your mind and your brain and a, a piece of that too then might be uh might be speech therapy um and so oh. a lot of people don't uh realize that speech therapists do cognitive rehab cognitive rehab is uh, like physical therapy for your memory oh. um, so speech okay. therapists they they're uh, kind of like a coach that would uh, guide them through different exercises and strategies uh some to help compensate but then and others to help actively strengthen uh, memory and attention and, and these cognitive skills. Yeah. And so oftentimes um, getting into that just involves talking with the family doc and the family doc can help uh, provide the referral or the order uh, for that. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Nice to know. Well, you've given, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was, <laughs> I was going to do what you were doing. Oh. I was going to say, you've been an amazing person to talk to. We are so grateful for your time. I want our listeners to be able to find you. Yes. So where can they find you? Uh, the best place is just my Facebook page. That's uh, okay. the best. Just Dr. Matt Bridgman, Resilient Brains, uh, trying to help people make their brains more resilient. Um, Absolutely. And then I'll be yeah. sure and I'll uh, link that in our show notes so people can go directly to your Facebook page and find you. And is there any words of wisdom, last message you'd like to leave with us? <laughs> um, just, yeah, think. Think of your brain as, as like a whole bunch of muscles, 
right? Yeah. And so you can exercise your brain. You can strengthen it. Um, you have uh, that, that, and also uh, thinking and even moods and emotions. They're like skills. Memory yeah. is a skill. Attention is a skill. Language, speaking, planning, organizing, um, even even our moods and emotions. They're kind of skills that we can we can exercise and we can adjust and we can strengthen uh, these things. So, um, yeah. Well, thank you again so much for your time. We really do are so honored that you're here with us, that you've taken this time and just thank you for the research that you're doing in this incredible area um, for cancer patients, but also for aging, aging brains. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yep, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Thank you so very much. You have been a delight to talk to, and I would love to have you back again one day. Producer Julia is dying yeah. that she wasn't able to meet you today. So we definitely need to have you back. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure she'll have super nerdy questions for you. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. That'd be great. Awesome. All right. right, Well, listener, thank you so much. And if you have any topics that you would like us to cover, please feel free to send those to podcasts at weareyoursupport.com. And follow us on all of our social media and all of your podcasting platforms. Leave us a beautiful five-star review and a kind, some kind words. And join us next week for our our spotlight series. We will see you guys then. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye. We We are are your support. support. Thank Thank you for for talking talking cancer. cancer.